Life's Third Act is a podcast dedicated to helping you get the most out of your retirement. Sponsored by Tucker Allen, attorney CPA Joe Cordell features guests each week to discuss prominent topics for those over 55. Welcome to Life's Third Act. I'm Jill Enders, flying solo today. Joe Cordell has the day off. And today we are talking about blended families and estate planning. And here with us is none other than our very own Nina Windsor, attorney with Tucker Allen, our go-to person for all the information we need on estate planning. Welcome back. Thank you so much, Jill. Good to see you. Good to see you. So you've had quite a busy summer with the big move with the Tucker Ellen office? Yes, we have a new headquarters. It's located just off of Watson and Lindbergh. And so we still have four offices, but uh, we were all moved in and, you know, kind of grown. So it's a bigger office and we're already seeing clients there. Very exciting. All settled in? Yes. Okay. That's great. All right. We're talking about blended families and, and what comes to mind to me, and I, I'm probably dating myself, but a very popular TV show when I was a kid, The Brady Bunch, of course. Perfect family. Carol has three girls. Mike has three boys. They all get along, solve everything in 30 minutes or less. And, you know, we can only assume that, you know, Carol would do right by Mike's kids or Mike would do right by Carol's kids. But in real life, that doesn't, you know, reflect reality. We know blended families... There's a lot of complications they there. They can be complicated. And when you say do right by, it's it's interesting because I think when people come in, they're asking, how do I even do that? So it's not even so much a question of intention right. um, as much as it is of execution and just a pragmatic look at um, what assets there are and how things would go uh, depending on who passes away first. Of course, the the hope is that neither of those spouses passes away until they're much older Right. Um, when you're talking to younger families. But that doesn't mean that you don't need to come in and have a look at what the situation would be when you have a blended family with young children or, or young younger adults. But we often, you know, we know that often in blended families, you know, Kids aren't going to like their dad's new spouse, Mm -hmm. vice versa. We know that there's going to be those challenges within the family. So you definitely want to make sure that your children are taken care of. Absolutely, particularly if they're still dependents of you. You don't want to, you know, even if you're divorced and your prior spouse would have custody of your children, you still want to make sure that you're being able to continue whatever support that you were providing to them after you've passed away. Okay. Um, And if they're adults, you still probably have some intent that at some point they're going, that your children are going to recover, even if you want to provide for your surviving spouse. So it's a balancing act. Mm -hmm. Most people don't have an estate that's the size that they can just say, oh, it's no problem. Everyone will be well provided for. And so there are a lot of tough choices that need to be made in the hypothetical uh, to make sure that things go according to the intentions and balancing intentions of two parties. So when you sit down, when, when a couple comes into you and it's a second or third marriage even, What questions do you ask them? So we get all the housekeeping questions out of the way, and that kind of warms people up to to knowing, you know, oh, hey, we've got a lot of questions coming. And then we start to ask, okay, this is our favorite part. Let's talk about the structure of your family. And that is usually when people will say, okay, well, we have this many children together, or they'll say we we each have children from a prior marriage. So we'll get the information of how the 
family is structured. And that way we kind of know who is who and we can refer to them by name, which is helpful. And then we start to talk about what is your ideal scenario, assuming that you were older and one mm-hmm. of you passed away. And then what is your ideal scenario if something happened tomorrow? And so making a plan that balances those intentions between the right now and the way off in the distance usually helps. One of the things that we want to find out is, you know, how many children are still dependent? And and overall, in your documents, do you intend to treat each other's children as your own? Like, are you in or are you out as right. far as stepchildren are concerned? And people will ask a lot of follow-up questions to that, but that usually is a good litmus test to figure out how are they thinking about this. If the couple is saying, look, we each, you know, we have similar incomes, we have similar assets, we have our own children, and we want to keep things as separate as possible. At that point, we usually start by recommending that although there will be a lot of family interchange and a lot of repeat facts, we're going to recommend that they do individual trusts so for each of them. not joint then. Correct. Okay. But you can still provide for your spouse Absolutely. by doing that. Okay. Yes, you can. And it makes it, what, less complicated, I guess? Kind of silos everything. Um, when you're pointing your accounts individually towards triggering that transfer to a trust uh, when you pass, if it's going to a trust that's purely under your control— a couple of things happen. One of them is that after you pass away, if you've got an individual trust, it becomes irrevocable, which means it's not able to be changed and no one else has control over it after you pass away. Um, The trustee will take over as far as the administration of that trust, but they won't be able to change what your wishes were. Now, do you recommend one trust over another with this type of a blended family situation, or does it matter? So if the couple says, we want to treat all of the kids as our kids, okay, um, then that is ripe for a joint trust because it gets a little complicated with yeah. two separate trusts if you want to do it the other way. The next question I would ask at that point are, are there assets that you never want to go over to your spouse for their use mm-hmm. or their direction? And do you want those assets to go directly to your children? Okay. Okay. If that's the case, there are different ways to deal with that. So it it is really a decision tree. And we try to take it relatively slowly, which is why these conversations usually take longer than some other consultations we may have. Right. Now, if you have a situation where you don't create separate plans, Mm -hmm. you do it joint, I can only imagine that it's probably best not to have— any of the children, biological stepchildren, act as the trustee. When, I mean, I, I, I can I can see if all types kid, of turmoil. Yeah, I, I mean, ki- again, we're not talking about the Brady Bunch here. We're right. talking real life, right? So if we're if we're talking about a blended family and everyone is recovering equally, then it's not usually a problem to have one of the children be the trustee. Um, it can be. You know, we have to talk about temperaments, education, all of those types sure. of things. Same as we've had these conversations right. before. But if there is a child who is um, actually getting less than the other children because he is from a prior marriage, then 
that's not really saying we want to treat all of our children equally. And at that point, we have to kind of go back to the drawing board and say, look, we, we really need to make sure that there is an uninterested party who's um, going to be the, in the administrative period getting everything divvied up. Now, what happens during the consultation um, where the couple doesn't tell you about a child that they have because— they're not on speaking terms. They've been estranged for a very long time, and they don't tell you about it. And then after both of their deaths, you find out about it. Can that long-lost child come back and challenge? So with a will, if they are not listed as family members, there's a possibility there. Uh, when somebody is um, has passed away and the matter goes to probate and there is no estate plan, then if the child is not disclosed at that time and they don't receive notice, they can come back later and contest. I will tell you that most of the time they do tell me, and here's why. They want to make sure, part of the reason they're coming to my office is to say, look, I have this relationship um, or no relationship with this other child, and I do not want them to inherit. I don't want them to bother my new spouse. I, you know, right. and, and you know, we don't have a dog in this in this fight. So we're we're basically advocating on behalf of the client who's walked in. We don't make any um, assumptions. We don't dig into things much further about what the relationship is. You know, that's their business. But if they have decided that they do not want to provide for a child from a prior relationship. Mm-hmm or even one that um, they're not even sure if that person really is their kid. We've had that situation before. Um, They can specifically say in their estate plan, I do not want this person to inherit, and they are deemed to have predeceased me for purposes of this estate plan. Okay. So they can actually challenge a trust, though, is what I'm saying. Um, Only if it says my descendants. So if you have somebody that you are disinheriting, you will want to specifically carve out that that person is not to be considered okay. your descendant. Okay. So it's just about specificity. So that's why I'm saying most of the time people don't hide that from their estate planner. They may hide it from other professionals, but they with for their estate planner, they're going to say, hey, I want you to know about this because I want to plan around it. Okay. Now, say you you have a situation where, you know, both spouses have had multiple marriages, multiple children, and, you know, once the trust, you know, is executed, and say they can't find one of those children, Mm -hmm. what happens? Do you, like, set the money aside? Does the trustee set the money aside indefinitely? How does that work? um, There... You can actually deal with the court at that point. So if you aren't able to find a beneficiary, you have to basically show the court that you have followed certain steps for providing notice to that beneficiary in an attempt to distribute those funds. And sometimes you're able to actually file if there's a presumption of death, like that you can't really prove that the person's passed away, but that's right for all intents and purposes. It looks like they have. You can file with the court to get an order dictating that. So it doesn't get held indefinitely, but it does get held for a decent period of time, depending on the, the jurisdiction, to allow the time to make a, uh, a concerted effort to track down that beneficiary. So we're talking about like Make putting a notice in a publication. Mm-hmm. Yes. What type of publication? Like the. It depends on the jurisdiction. It does. Yes. Okay. 
in Missouri, a lot of times it's the Missouri lawyers' media, but most of the time it has to do with the last known domicile of that beneficiary. Okay. Okay. So, but that doesn't usually happen with a trust because if somebody knows that someone is not available, I mean, this is a recent development. Right. um, They will basically say that that person is not to recover. Okay. Okay. Now, once you do get remarried, Mm -hmm. important to really update that estate plan. Absolutely. Um, Anytime that you are having a (laughs) change in family structure, whether that's a divorce or a remarriage, um, it is important to look at your estate plan or to put one in place if you don't have one. So if they do have one in place and they have a new marriage, do they... Is it going to cost them the same amount? So if they have one in place, it's with somebody else. So unless they have an individual trust, um, they can't just swap out the the spouse's name with the new one. Um, So they would normally revoke their prior trust. Sometimes that is uh, something that happens during the divorce period anyway, is that it's one of the terms that everybody kind of gets out of that trust, defunds it, and revokes it. And then after that, you put a new trust in place. Okay. So if you are simply editing because you want to provide for someone new. So for example, a blended family doesn't always result from a marriage. Sometimes a blended family is somebody who is cohabiting with someone else um, and has in a long-term relationship and they get to the point where they want to make sure that they provide for that person. Um, So they may have an individual trust and it may only provide for their children, but they now want to provide for their significant other in some way. Okay, so people that are not married, but they are living together. Mm -hmm. Okay. Which the older you get, sometimes you don't see people actually getting remarried. Yeah, that that is very true. That is very true. Now, you were telling me before the show began about a unique situation in your own family. Yes. So um, I am actually, I think we probably had this come up before, but I'm one of 10 kids. Yes. So Never a dull moment in no, your household. No, and I'm not even making it up. I really do have a nine, nine full siblings, and I have one uh, half-brother. Uh-huh. And he isn't as much of an age gap from me as some of my younger siblings, but um, he was not a uh, significant part of our family towards the end of my father's life. So... Uh, Okay, so your father's child. Yes, he was my father's child from a very brief uh, marriage when he was much younger. Okay. And he actually was around for a good portion of the time, but when his mother got remarried, um, that gentleman actually adopted him. And so there was a severance of parental rights. So I think when people hear about a severance of parental rights, they're thinking, wow, it must be just this, you know, relationship that was non-existent, like you had nothing right. to do with this person. But it's actually just allowing that family unit to keep going with that new father basically being the person that he would legally inherit Who's from. Responsible for. Exactly. Okay. And so you have a couple of choices to make if you have a child for whom your parental rights were terminated or just, you know, that is is not... Uh, as involved in your family, you may still want to provide for them in some way. And my dad actually did. He wanted to make sure that this wasn't a situation where it was waiting until after my mother passed away uh, for the 11 of us to be 
looking at what would be left. Um, and so what he did was a specific gift. So this is something that comes up, uh, whether it's something that's kind of a family inheritance, you want to pass it down in a certain way, right? or it's just an item that you want specifically to go to that child or children from a prior relationship. You can kind of sweep things off of the top before they get put into a situation for your spouse's use, and that will go to your child from a previous relationship. So in my family's case, there was a provision that provided for my half-brother, uh, but then after that, everything went to my mother. Every Okay. And then everything else will be divided up among yes. the 10 We're kids. We're hoping she spends all of it. Good for her. Good for her. Yes. Uh, but yes. Yeah. And, and also, it'll be 10%. 10%. So. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's, right. it's split amongst a lot of people. Okay. But yes. And so, but that ensures that you have followed your intent and you're not depending on your second relationship to provide for a child from a prior relationship. Okay. Okay. So you can do a specific gift and that can apply to, I guess, anyone, mm-hmm. you know, a neighbor. A cousin. You absolutely can. That It's one of the questions that we ask in any consultation, but it's particularly relevant when we talk about blend, blended families. Okay. Okay. I wanted to ask you a question because I do know of a, I guess you could say a blended family situation gone wrong. I, I know of this lady. She's on her fourth or fifth marriage, and she doesn't like her spouse's adult children. Mm-hmm. There's bad blood there. And she talked her spouse into getting his will change and cutting his children out of it and leaving everything to her and her daughter, who's an adult. Okay, but here's the thing. This gentleman um, has early dementia. But somehow— Oh, you're just throwing it all out there. I'm this is like a law school hypothetical. It, yeah, yeah. But, but it, I mean, it's it's real. And I, yeah. I can see what's going to happen after this gentleman passes away. Mm-hmm. This is going to end up in court. So I, I would imagine that his biological children will have a leg to stand on because it's documented that he's— So I think we've talked about (laughs) capacity to contract in here before. We have. But um, just pivoting very quickly to say that if there's ever a— Undue influence. mm -hmm, But if there's ever an issue with a health issue with the person who's going to be signing the documents, and particularly if they are making significant changes to their estate plan that is pivoting what their intent is, um, they need to bring in a letter of capacity. But just because somebody brings in a letter— letter of capacity from their doctor saying that they can sign documents doesn't mean that we as attorneys don't have a duty to to look at the situation and try to spot whether there is undue influence or whether maybe that person was having a good day with the doctor when they went in, but when they hit our office, we're not comfortable working for them, and we will turn those clients away. Right. And it happens— But not all attorneys will be that honest. No. You know, but we are. So. I know you are. Uh-uh. I know, but we know that does happen. It does, um, but it shouldn't. And sure. and so there will be issues as far as the attorney having potential liability or you know a bar complaint. And there's also the issue, and no attorney really wants to get drug into that situation. Um, you know, it's it's very tedious. It's very dangerous. So more often than not, attorneys won't engage in that in that type of work. Um, if you have somebody who is leaving all of their money to like 
a caregiver or their cleaning person or something like that, it's easier to spot, right? Sure. But when you have somebody who is talking about disinheriting their children, oftentimes we'll ask to speak to that person without the other individual in the room. Right. And try to get an idea of really what their intent is. Do they understand what's happening? If the person who is standing to inherit from the change in the estate plan is in the room at that time and they are doing all of the talking— we're either going to bow out or we're going to change the right. situation so that we can really know who we're working for and, and what we're doing. And from what I understand, this situation, it was a will. It wasn't an estate plan. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be Well, it's easy. still an estate plan, but not a trust. I but, mean, I'm yes. sorry. Mm-hmm. That's what I meant to say, a trust. So I would, with a will, it's easier to challenge. Uh, you do have to record the will, yes. So that, like when an, a will is recorded, everyone who would be an heir— uh, if there was no will, gets notice of that will. And so they see what is in it. Mm-hmm. Um, when a trust is recorded, the will is just a pour-over will saying everything goes to this trust. So if somebody changes a trust, you're not going to know that you didn't end up being a beneficiary of it until after maybe the 120 days has passed and you don't get a copy and you're like, wow, if I was a beneficiary, I would have gotten a copy right now. Right, So um, it is a little bit harder. It's more of a waiting game to figure out whether something happened with that trust. And now with neither of these, do you have to notice beneficiaries or potential beneficiaries when you edit the documents or when you get new documents? No one gets notice when the documents are signed, only after the person passes away. So have you had to turn clients away for that very recent. Yes. I mean, when you suspected something like that? Yes, but that can happen, you know, that can happen if we have somebody coming in who wants to get their their parent qualified for Medicaid and they want to transfer assets now to the children so that they mm-hmm. wouldn't be subject to Medicaid. But I mean, even with that, our duty is to the client. So if they are not comfortable moving all of their assets out of their name, I don't work for their children. Right, so right. it can, I mean, we've had people that we've presented what we thought was the proper solution to them and the kids weren't happy with that and I'm okay with that. Um, and I'm okay with a second spouse not not liking us. I'm okay with somebody saying, oh gosh, we went and they weren't very helpful Yeah. <laughs> um, because I don't want to help people do something that isn't with the intent of that person who's worked very hard for their money right. um, and their assets and their family structure and their family relationships. And and those things all take time and hard work, and we're not going to be a party to them uh, passing not according to the intent of that person mm-hmm. if we can help it. Now, say you have a, a couple, and it's a second or third marriage, whatever the case, and, mm-hmm. of course, they say they have separate bank accounts, and they think that, well, I'll just put my children on my bank account, you know, mm-hmm. with POD— and the other one does the same, Mm -hmm. and they think that's enough. But there still can be complications with that. Oh, yes. And if you have more than, if you each have more than one child, or either of you has more than one child, it can be harder. I mean, sometimes people just try to put their kids on the bank account as a signer, which is, we've talked about that before, that's a nightmare. Um, But there are all kinds of accounts, there's all kinds of assets. There are usually, there's usually real estate Uh and... Um, there is usually retirement accounts and sometimes stock and things of that nature. So you're not Vehicles. just exactly. And um, again, PODs are a really great scrappy way of doing some estate planning that uh, doesn't necessarily require an attorney. But uh, they don't contemplate things like somebody being on disability. They don't co- contemplate someone passing away before 
uh, the person who has the POD. Um, you know, there's all kinds of things that 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 is real that are really difficult with that. But always remember a will is supposed to be a, a last resort. People talk about their will very grandiosely. I'm going to write you out of my will or yeah, I'm going to yeah. put you in my will. Well, if nothing is actually left without a beneficiary designation, then nothing falls according to the will anyway. Right. And anyone can change their beneficiary designation at any time unless they lose capacity. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, the, the will is something that is a catch-all. If a gift fails... Um, you didn't put a TOD on your car. Nobody did a beneficiary deed to anyone on the on the real estate. Mm-hmm. Then that real estate ends up in probate. And if you don't have a will saying where the real estate is going to go, um, it gets split according to the sure. intestate statute, sure. which is what, no matter what, what you want to avoid at all costs. Now, say the couple, or at least one of them, brings minor children into the relationship. And... The uh, spouses, you know, the ch- the uh, parent of the children has passed away or not around or mm-hmm, whatever. Mm-hmm. So you definitely want to plan for the care of those minor children, uh, perhaps with the new spouse. Possibly. I mean, you get an opportunity to name guardians, and th- that designation is not necessarily binding on the court. The court still has to issue an order on who the guardian of minor children would be. Um, so it's possible that they may not go to the new spouse. They may go to an aunt or an uncle or grandparents, but the court will take what you put in your documents very seriously. Well, would social services get involved in a situation? It's not really social services because it's not, it's not foster care. I mean, they can reside with the remaining uh, spouse, spouse up until the point the judge issues an order. But you do want to make your intentions very clear based on how things are going with the family at that time, who you would like the children to be with. If you have a blended family like the Brady Bunch and the kids have all kind of grown up together, that's and that much more adopted. of a reason. Well, if they're adopted, it's a no-brainer. Right, it, exactly. Mm-hmm. But because then, you know, that, that that's, is that their, that's that's their binding, parent. Right. Uh, but if they're not adopted and it's just you've both brought children into the marriage, then you really need to make sure that you have a lot of if-then statements um, in your estate plan. So if this happens, then this. If this happens, then this. And so what you want to show is that it's okay for your surviving spouse to get a good chunk of money to take care of your kids if they have your kids. But what if they don't have your kids? And if they don't, uh, you still probably want to provide for them in some way. It, even if you don't, if you're saying, okay, well, um, their day to day needs are going to be met by whoever is taking custody of them, but I want to put this money aside for them for when they go to college or something like that. And so a lot of people have just never thought of things this way. Yeah. And things we need to think about because you, you never know. Yep. You know. I get to be Mary Sunshine about everything. Yes. But I, and I come up with all of the, like, here's all the awful things that can, so happen. can happen. But what we look at it as and when we sit down is saying, like, look, you've got, you've worked really hard to get into this relationship. If you're in a blended family relationship, you have made some uh, concessions. You have yes. made some compromises. And you have also probably shifted what how you pictured things going forward right. to, to build something positive with somebody else. Um, what we look at it as is more of a disaster preparedness plan. I like that. I like that because Um, it's true. Yep. So, you know, make sure you have batteries, flashlights, and tuna uh, in your, you know, in your pantry. And then also, like, take a look at this is what's your worst case scenario. What do you do if 
any of these things happen? And what do you picture happening? What is the best scenario? And then kind of being pragmatic about looking at where your accounts are at that point. Mm-hmm. And what is going? what is somebody going to need to live on? Are you depending financially on each other heavily or is one spouse depending more on the other? Is In a blended family, sometimes you have somebody who has decided to stay home with all of the children. Right. So if they were suddenly forced back into the workforce because you didn't provide for them well enough in your estate plan and the money went directly to the kids, I mean, that can be a problem. That, oh, right, right. I'm curious, how many of your clients, especially those with uh, blended families, choose a financial institution to serve as trustee? Um, originally, they all say oh, it will just go in age order. Go in, okay. And then when we talk about things more, then they'll pivot very extremely and say, oh, we want a bank or a trust company. And then when I tell them what that costs, then they kind of go back. Go back. So there's a lot of, sometimes we just cut the conversation short and move on because they really need to go talk with each other and maybe their friends about how to what they want to pick um, as far as their progression of trustees. Now, one of the things that is, if they have trustees that are um, their children, making sure that all the children are recovering equally is very important because you don't want somebody who is the oldest kid also from a prior marriage who's getting less than everybody else because he might also be recovering from uh, another parent right. outside of that marriage, which is fine. You know, it's, it, it makes sense. But if they're getting, you know, 20% and the other kids are getting 40%, you probably don't want them to be in charge of the money and making sure that their siblings get more, you know, twice as right. much money as them. That makes it's, sense. It just, you know, so yeah. it's really following through on the whole picture and then working backwards to say, okay, now that we know how you want things to go, let's talk about who should be in charge of this. No, the financial institution, typically, what is the percentage that they get? Uh, it, cha- it changes um, depending on the size of the estate, and then there's sometimes a monthly minimum. Okay. So, um, so I mean, it's all over the board. So I don't really want to speak without having you know right, numbers right. in place. But the thing is, that it's not a contract. So you can designate a trust company to serve now, and then by the time that you pass away, they may have a whole different offering as far as their trust company services and what those services cost. Mm -hmm. So um, you can start out by saying, ideally, I want this trust company to serve, but it would be probably important to put some benchmarks in place to say that somebody could remove that independent trustee if costs got above a certain amount or or just allowing them to appoint someone different, maybe a different bank that doesn't cost as much. Okay. Makes sense. All right. So, Nina, give us some key takeaways of today's show. I would say that of course even make if you a plan think, make a plan make a plan if you think that your situation is simple and you've just got it you know hammered out and you you're like I can put this on a posty note you know here's what I want to have happen once you bring that posty note into me I'm going to tell you that it that is your plan A 
Right. But uh, even your plan A may take some very specific drafting, and you also want to have a plan B and a plan C because a lot of times things don't go exactly as planned. And it can be a really positive thing uh, in a relationship, in a blended family, to know that when you're walking out, you feel like you've been fair to your children and to your spouse um, and that you are really using this as an opportunity to care, all care for each other and to really state your intentions. That's really sometimes a wonderful moment in our consultations is to get to hear people say um, how much they really care about everyone in the family that they've built. And oftentimes they know their spouse doesn't have a good relationship with their children, so they want to make sure their children are provided for, yes. are taken care of. Yes. So when we're talking about how how many changes can people make and when can they make them to this document, it is a living, breathing document. So once we get it in place, we can make changes to it over time. Things can evolve. But getting that initial plan in place mm-hmm. um, that is your ideal scenario going forward is very, very important and one that we are committed to spending however much time it takes to make sure that people really understand what they're signing and how their estate plan is going to work. Right. Okay. Well, Nina Windsor, we always enjoy having you. You're a wealth of information. That's why you're our go-to person. Appreciate it, Joe. And we'll have to have you back. I'll see you again soon. Sounds great. Okay. Well, this has been another episode of Life's Third Act. Take care. You've been listening to Life's Third Act, a podcast for thriving in retirement. Sponsored by Tucker Allen, your estate and elder law advisors. Each week we discuss topics and answer questions to help you better plan for your future. For more information, visit TuckerAllen.com. Subscribe and listen again next week for another edition of Life's Third Act. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely on advertisements.